Welcome. You're about to be ushered past the velvet rope and into a world of hyper-effective salesmanship that's understood and used only by the world's most notoriously rich and successful marketers. We're taking a journey deep inside the human brain, past the surface clutter, and into the psychological insights to answer the one crucial question, what makes people buy? I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, along with the most ripped off and respected copywriter alive, John Carlton, and this is Psych Insights for Modern Marketers. Hi, welcome to Psych Insights. It's Kevin Rogers here with John Carlton. We got a great episode today. And remember to visit uh, PI, the number four, mm.com and leave your comments because we love to interact with you over there on the blog. Today, we're going to talk about the uh, parallels between uh, cops and copy. Detective work and sales detective work, as John calls it. And John turned me on to a really great book that I bet very few people know about. It's called What Cops Know by Connie Fletcher. And I want to read just a a paragraph from the introduction. It's a story from a, a priest in Chicago who was a new priest to the area and was invited to a barbecue and and met these sort of uh, very unusual, uh, he thought they were street thugs at first because they were armed, but they turned out to be plainclothes detectives. And he quickly bonded with them. And here's his assessment of what it's like to be a cop in the streets. He's talking about his experience with evil compared to theirs. And he says, But with police officers, their experience of evil, there's an immediacy. They stand in it. They touch it. They taste it. They smell it. They hear it. They have to handle it. The priest only knows about evil intellectually. The cop knows it in his gut. And just that little paragraph right there, John, says a lot about what it takes to either handle crime or close deals. Yeah, there's it's the. One one of the things that Halbert liked uh, uh, was uh, true crime and detective novels. Uh, He was a huge fan of the John D. MacDonald, Travis McGee books. The character was Travis McGee, and he was a a detective. And um, it's funny that guys like uh, Mongo and me and, and a lot of people who have you know, worked with Gary, wound up reading the entire series and then recommending it to other people. Yeah. And I believe Gary may have found What Cops Know First. Uh, it was a book written, I believe, in the early 90s or late 80s. Um, and it just interviewed a lot of cops. Uh, I, I, I think they were, they might have been uh, Boston cops. No, they were Chicago. It was called. They were Chicago I, cops. I, I, okay, I, I, so, so big, six, big yeah. city stuff. Mm-hmm. But what, what's interesting about what cops do is, is especially detectives, when we talk about cops, we're, we're really talking about the detective angle, the forensics team, the people who go into a crime scene and, at, you know, before the, you know, after the, after the crime, before the mop up, when everything, you know, when the blood is still steaming, you know, on the uh, on the porch outside in, in the blizzard, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and you start to try to solve things. You have you have little pieces of evidence, or and and you have people that you can interview, and it's it, it's it's not exact, but but for the writer, the writer understands what that process entails, and that's what makes us makes this whole thing so fascinating. This idea of what cops know and uh, how they get from 
just seeing this scene of chaos and disaster and then start to make sense out of it. And that's often what we do in copy. We are presented with a uh, a client, a pile of information, a vague sense of what the client wants, and we have to make sense out of it. We have to deconstruct it. We have to literally interview people. Uh, a, a good copywriter will interview as many people as he can. The, witnesses the, and suspects. <laughs> yeah, witnesses and suspects, exactly. And in, in copy, it would be the owner and what I call the feet in the street and the uh, the people who are not going to give the company lines. So it's like, you know, you can talk to the client who is probably the main suspect and he will give you the company line, which, you know, sounds good, but may not be the truth. Then you go kind of behind his back. You ask the secretaries, the people who have to deal with complaints on the phone, the guys who are actually selling this face to face, if, if there are any, mm-hmm. and you'll get it often a completely different story. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll roll their eyes and say, yeah, well, you know, Joe hasn't been out of the CEO <laughs> corner office in three years. Yeah. He doesn't know what we're doing when we sell, but, you know, or they'll say, yeah, you know, Joe's really in love with this particular you know, benefit or, or feature of the product, but it's causing us the most trouble yeah. and, you know, refunds and blah, blah, blah. He, you know, he just won't listen when we take things like this come up all the time. So, you know, I, I came up with this idea of being a sales detective actually before I met Halbert, I was doing it cause I was a fan of detective novels, not quite to the level that he was, but I was, you know, I was reading a lot myself and especially the Elmore Leonard stuff, although he really wasn't doing detective stuff, he he was writing from the side of the criminal mm-hmm. almost always. So getting into the head, and when you start to look at this stuff critically, it's like you back up and say, "How did he get in his head? How did he do that?" Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking to myself, "I got to do this with these clients who are what what is called in novel writing an unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. and an unreliable narrator in a novel is a character who is telling you." the reader certain things and it may take you half the novel to realize that what that character is telling you is not the truth or is is not unbiased or you know he has an agenda and that's thrilling for a reader you know when when you're in the hands of an excellent writer who is you know crafting this tale to suddenly realize oh my god everything i thought that was going on is not going on you know so the the unreliable narrator is either on purpose or through some you know unconscious process not giving you the absolute truth and and that was a something i took from novel writing uh you know stephen king has written about this a lot and and it's taught in 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 writing classes and i took that and i took it over to the advertising side and i started thinking wow i'm you know i'm really dealing with a lot of unreliable narrators a lot so i have to for me to find that sales hook mm-hmm. And I could have called it being a hook detective, but really it's it's a sales detective because at the end of the day, I have to figure out what I can pull out of the people I'm talking to, of this chaos of a client's business, of his advertising, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that he's using now, of his marketing stuff, of his ads, his websites, everything, and pull out what I can use to create what I'm going to create, which may have nothing to do with what he's done. I may make in runs around his main USP. I may create a new one. I may find a hook that he never thought existed. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I have to, I have to dig. I get into a mind mindset that I trust no one. Not that I distrust everyone, but I trust no one. No, it's I much like your <clears throat> your Uncle Pete the detective who who I, I think you should probably introduce here in a minute. Mm-hmm. But one of his things was he did not judge who he was talking to. 
And he would talk to murderers, uh, people high on the suspect list, uh, lowlifes, um, <clears throat> all kinds of people that in polite society he would you know, he he would not approve of their values in life, not approve of the way they made their living, not approve of 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 how how they they lived their life or even interacted with other 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 people in the world. But he had to put all that aside because he was looking for, you could call it the truth or yeah. the or the or the ex explanation or the, you know, what, what's going on. And we're doing that in, when we do sales detective work too, we're looking for, um, <clears throat> what we can use in order to ethically and rationally and effectively make a sale. Yeah. And, and we're dealing with bad actors and unreliable narrators. We're dealing with clueless people who, and we're dealing with incompetence and liars. Yeah. And, and the liars are actually easier to deal with. Once you realize you're dealing with somebody who's just lying. Hmm. Sometimes as you get better, you know, Kevin, I remember, uh, I think I, <clears throat> I was telling you one of my things was if, if a client tells you money is no object, you can be damn sure that money very much is an object. And yeah. it's almost like you can take everything they say and just turn it around and think it's probably closer to the truth of exact opposite of what they say. Right. And once you realize that, you don't call them on it. It's just you yeah. put that into your into your um, you know your toolkit and it's like you you know as you're running everything through the sales gauntlet or the truth gauntlet or whatever right. you just you say eh, you know I'm not going to trust exactly what this guy says he may be he may be lying he may be clueless he may be unconsciously you know misdirecting you not really understanding what he's doing all kinds yeah. of things come up so by knowing this you become really good at the forensics of sales and Uncle Pete you know, was using the forensics of actual murder scenes and stuff. And, you know, it's kind, kind, kind of funny when you were interviewing him and he was talking about, you know, that first time that it really clicked with him, right? You, you yeah. want to tell that story? Yeah. Introduce Uncle Pete yeah, to okay. us. Yeah, okay. So, um, and, and I want to make sure we get back to empathy. You, you touched on it. And I, I think that was the one of the greatest parallels. Not, yeah. not coming in judgmental so you can get to the truth. Um, so Uncle Pete is a really important figure throughout my life. Um, when I was probably six years old, um, Uncle Pete was dating my Aunt Marilyn. She was divorced, and I had I have very few memories of her first husband. I, I think they probably divorced when I was very young, like two or three years old. Mm -hmm. And um, so... Uh, Uncle Pete, uh, one day we were all visiting, having dinner, all the big extended family. And Uncle Pete um, pulled me aside and he sat me down and he said, Kevin, uh, I, I, I need to tell you something important um, and I need your opinion. And he said, he said, I, I, I love your Aunt Marilyn very much. And uh, I think I'm going to ask her to marry me, but I need to know that that's okay with you. <laughs> I mean, now, can you imagine I'm six years old and this adult man has just told me it matters what I think about his plans. And I'm telling you, 
it, it changed my world in a second. I, I think I literally st- stood there and stroked my chin for a second, thought it over be- <laughs> before getting back to him, you know. And, and I, I'll never forget the, the first time somebody told me I, I mattered and it was uh, my, my, you know, it was significant to them. And it, it was incredible. And, and, and throughout my life, He's been that kind of character. When I, in high school, wanted to be an actor, that was my first <laughs> big dream. I thought I, I, I wanted to be an actor, which I was very wrong about. But um, he, he really loved that idea, and he would give me these lines to remember. I, I forget the, the famous play, The Scarlet Pimpernel, mm-hmm. and he would give me these lines to remember. And you heard him in the interview. He's a very, uh, very compelling guy. You know, he looks like a, a 50s noir actor or something. He's got that great voice. He reminds you like a Tony Curtis or somebody, right? Yeah. And so I just always loved Uncle P. He, he, he to me, was the idea of what a man's man, uh, a really a, a straight shooter, you know, uh, and I just always admired him a whole bunch. So and and I, I should just say that when when I found out that Kevin has had an uncle who was a not just a cop, but a detective yeah. in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, <clears throat> uh, retired now. But but, you know, I, I, I thought you got to go interview this guy. I mean, this this is the kind of stuff, you know, that's a long that book. What what cops know? Yeah. And uh, Kevin did a really good job. Just sat him down. And uncle Pete is just that guy who's who's quite willing to share what he knows and turns out to be one of those uh, ethical non-judgmental detectives who really did want to get to the yeah. end of it but but he got hooked on it much the same way I think a lot of us got hooked on uh, on this kind of long copy direct response advertising stuff which is very different and you know uh, it, it should be said that we pay a price <clears throat> by writing the kind of ads that we do we could get away with writing madison avenue type slogans and stuff and people would pay us and we could you know we could walk away but once we knew the truth which is that salesmanship actually takes an investment of time and expertise and you have to persuade and you have to you know present facts and you make a rational and an emotionally satisfying sales argument to be able to close the deal that that's a harder row to hoe yeah. and uh, f- it's the same you know for for cops you know to go from being a regular cop to being a detective you're taking on a lot yeah absolutely and you know I gotta tell you that was one of the big surprises to me in the interview as long as I've known Uncle Pete and my whole life and he's always talked to me about his cases he, he really loves to talk about his work and his cases and um I, I honestly had this feeling about him that he was the kind of guy who couldn't let it go. Uh, there, he's writing a book about a particular murder case, and I've heard the story many times from him. And every time there's a few new details, so it remains fascinating whenever he talks about it. But I really felt like he was sort of the—he uh, uh, is obsessed with it in a sense. But I'll tell you what surprised me the most was that idea that part of what made him great at his job— was that he didn't judge people mm-hmm. and that he didn't get upset if the verdict didn't go his way. 
You know, if a guy, if he did all his work and a guy would get off, he, he felt, well, I did my, I did the best I could. That, that was, that was the only part of it I could control. And it's on to the next case, you know? Uh, it, it, I think that's one of the, the, the myths that, that, that we have thrust upon us through all the novels and all the millions of cop shows we've all sat and watched is that, you know, uh, justice prevails in the end, some, some way or another. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, if, if a cop does his job well, then the guy gets put away. It's yeah. just, just not how it is. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I think survival for a guy like Pete was realizing that I can only control so much of this. And, you know, they don't, a good cop doesn't really take justice into his own hands and it doesn't get settled in the back alley, you know. But it's also not, uh, it wasn't Joe Friday either. I know that Pete um, did a lot of things um, that might not have been by the book, but were still for him, you know, morally and ethically in line. But, but you, you know what, Kevin? I, I have to dive in there. Mm-hmm. The book uh, for cops, there probably is a detective manual, and there probably is a book. And for copywriters, there are different books you can have, and we can talk about writing copy by the by the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It's 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 important to know that when you get into it, you're, you, the the book is for the the rookies, is for the people who are just getting introduced mm-hmm. to the whole concept. Right. For cops, it would be the reality of the street, which is as you said, you know, there's justice and then there's settling things. There's mm-hmm. getting the guy off the street, no matter how you can, because he is a bad actor. Or in copy, it's like it's like reaching your prospects with a, you know, maybe it's not the exact sales pitch the client wants. There's no, you know, there's less romance in it than he thought was going to be there. It's more hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just, just sell the damn thing. But, you know, the, the idea of going by the book that's that's pretty interesting that's you know that's for the that's for the rookie to the middling veteran and then as you get into the expertise you're bringing other things to the table for the cop more psychology for the writer more psychology yeah uh, uh, dealing with people and also more persuasion and more being able to adjust what you're doing so it's not um it's it's possibly not predictable to right. an outsider. Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's not somebody will say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I do that too. It's like it's like you're going, wow, that was a jujitsu move. You know, how did you do that? And <laughs> right. and Uncle Pete just told some fascinating stories about about the whole thing. Um, just just mention real briefly how he got you know what what clicked in him. Yeah. Okay. So the story he told was uh, he's a rookie basically uh, on the force. What was he three years in? And uh, he he was he, he he speaks fluent Greek. You know, I don't know. I think his, I'm sure his parents were immigrants. If if he wasn't, I think he was probably born here. But um, uh, so he grew up in the Greek section of town. So he knew everybody. He spoke fluent Greek, and um, he was as he tells it on his way to a bowling banquet <laughs> with, with a date, and uh, was literally told to go to the um, call box. Remember, they used to have call boxes mm-hmm. for the police on the street, and he picks it up, and the sergeant tells him, "Hey, I need you to go ID a body um, at at the morgue on your way to uh, th- this banquet." And so he he does, and it's his first time seeing a dead body, and he he described it as charred. So apparently the guy had been <laughs> burned to some degree. And he talks about unraveling the gauze. He said it looked like a mummy, right? Yeah. And unraveling the gauze and seeing this this face. And uh, I don't know that he 
could ID the body, but uh, he, he said it, 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 it immediately became obsessed with the, the case and finding out how did this guy die and what's, what's really going on here. And he said he couldn't focus at all that night on anything anything he'd planned to do and you could hear in his voice and in, in, in the story that he changed right there in an instant he sort of became a detective and what was great about that era in the 70s when he was a cop was pre-dna by the way pre-dna that's right it was all yeah. about clues and forensics and and gut instinct and uh it, it they decided on that very case that a couple days later uh, well, what would happen was there he solved it with that with the envelope, right? There was a, a corner of an envelope from a that was burnt from the fire, and there's a little bit of writing on the corner. And one of the other de- 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 cops looked at it and said, "Well, it's, it was Greek writing," and he said, "Oh, well, it's Greek to me." Yeah. But Peter could read it, and he yeah. recognized the name of the girl that it was addressed to. And he and and so he told them <laughs> that he had this clue, and they said, "Go home and change. You're a detective now." Yeah, <laughs> just like that. There wasn't a bunch of hoops and, and formalities and a ceremony, and it was just like, "All right, we need you on. This is where we need you." Uh, I love that idea. I don't think that that would happen today as much, right? There'd be more hierarchy and all this crap. Well, what's interesting is it does happen in in, in marketing. I mean, it, I've dealt with a number of people who were either business owners or were involved in some way, just somebody needed to step up and take care of the, um, of the copy. And, you know, it's, it's you, you're, you're the one who's going to, who's going to do it. So, yeah, that's true. It's, it's the most qualified guy in the room because that's another parallel is that it, it, the job just has to get done. The case has to get solved. There's a deadline. Uh, you know, we, we have a, a stated deadline where in, in, in detective work, obviously, it's, it's, it's immediate, but who knows when the deadline, when the case will be solved, if ever. We have to solve our cases before the deadline. We've got to figure out what, what's, you know, what, it's almost like, uh, well, our friend John Benson talks about this litigator's mindset. Sort of, yeah. sort of equates to that thinking. I've got to have my case ready to go <laughs> before the jury, which is the buyers, and and get it together. So you're right. I mean, it doesn't really ego goes out the window. And if you're surrounded by a group of people and somebody's got the insight you need, they move up the ranks quickly. Yeah, the 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 mindset. I think just to <clears throat> make sure that the people understand that is not. You know, you want to win, and if you have to not get credit for it, you still do it, and and that's, you know, in 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 copy, it's it's kind of the same way. The more noble thing is to make the thing work, and whether you know, if if someone else comes up with a better hook or headline than you have, and you're smart enough to recognize it, then that's yeah. what you go with. That's right. That, that's that's why there's twelve writers on a sitcom. You couldn't have two guys and expect them. Well, South Park somehow done it. But, <laughs> you know, you need a room full of minds going, no, here's the better joke here. Or here's yeah. here's 10 ideas, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, OK. Um, I just wanted to um, make sure that I covered my part of the sales detective, because I think. That's been that's really helped a lot of people. Am, am I still coming across really hot, Kevin? No, by the sound way? good. Sound good. Okay, good. Because um, my my dials are off the chart. I keep getting a red signal here. So, 
Anyway, uh, hopefully everything is fine. Um, Part of being a sales detective is you have something called a bullshit detector that goes off when people are not being straight with you or when the facts, and I put facts in, uh, in, in quote marks, aren't aren't gelling with what the, you know the reality to be. So there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. One of the best things that a marketer can do is to get their bullshit detector up to high. So, so not so that you're running around being cynical all the time, but rather you're running everything through a gauntlet in, in your head, reaching some level. You can call it truth. I think truth is is a loaded word, and you know, one man's truth is another man's poison, kind of thing. Right. But trying to find the bottom line, maybe, maybe, maybe that's that's a better way to do it. Focused on the goal, and in cop work, the goal is. Find out what happened. Yeah, give you know. There's this, and it and it's not a simple goal. It's it's you know find comfort for the for the family of the aggrieved or for the you know for for the victim if they're still alive, and put the perpetrator away. And <clears throat> if you can, maybe find out what the general problem is. You know, if if it's you know the, you're in a building where there's a lot of crime going on, you find out there's no locked doors in the building, then. You know, you know, you can go in there and maybe insist that the city or something pay for locked doors. I mean, that's that's an absurd thing. But in copy, we come across that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah. We go into a client who says, I'm losing sales and, you know, I need to change my ad. And as as a copywriter slash consultant, I've looked at this before and I said, do you realize you're leaking sales through X? You know, you're not capturing names, you're. Your 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 emails going into the into the spam filters, uh, all these other things could happen that has nothing to do with the copy and, the, and working on the copy and changing the hook and all that isn't going to help because that's not the problem. So as as you start to work all this stuff out, it's it gets less simple. Yeah, but it gets more fun as you go because even though it's not so simple, it is still relatively easy because there's only a certain number of things you're going to look at. It's like you're either, you know, it's it's either a, a factoid you can use in your ad or it isn't, and you don't want to toss it, but you put it into a separate pile. For the cop, I imagine he's either a suspect or he's not, and if he's not. He's still, you know, he's in a separate pile because you may come back to him later, but you're trying to narrow things down. You're always sifting through, you know, piles of inchoate, non-understandable stuff, looking f- to narrow it down so, so you can start to, to really start to apply the, the uh, pressure on, on the few things that you have. You can't, you can't have everybody in the neighborhood as a suspect. Right. And you know you got to narrow it down, and you and you ha- and you can't have everything the client wants in an ad. Always, you've got to narrow it down to the things that are sales worthy. So this this is all extremely fascinating stuff. Um, I like the, uh, the his idea of intuition. Um, uh, uh, how, how did he put it? His. Um, uh, forensics, forensics versus instinct. I don't think he actually said versus, but he talked about forensics and he talked about instinct. 
And, you know, you don't get there often right away. You have to put some time in. You have to test your instincts. And, and I say this to copywriters all the time. They may think their intuition of what will sell or what will be a good hook is right. right. But until you've tested it, until you've gone out and gotten slapped down by reality yeah. or had re- reality reward you, you, you can't trust your intuition until it has proven itself to be good. And even then, you're always going to be thinking to yourself, okay, this is intuitive. This is not based on facts. This right. is what I feel is going to happen. So it's suspect. However, from my history, my gut instinct or whatever has been right more often than not, or it is at least, you know, points in the right direction. So let's go with this and, and see what happens. And But, you know, in advertising, we get to test and we get to change things. If if uh, if if we're wrong in in real life detective work, if you put the wrong guy away, it's it's a huge process to get them get them back out of Rikers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or and that's all the more time for the for the real bad guy to be to be escaping. <laughs> the real bad the guy. Real bad you know. Guy. Yeah. It's you know the dangers of, of working with people. The, the the other thing I thought was really good about your Uncle Pete, and you know, at, at some point we may make this interview available. It's just, it's fascinating. Uncle Pete trusts Kevin and was very willing to to share some some inside stuff. And of course, he's interested in writing a book about a particular case, so his mind's still focused, even though he's out of the game right now. Um Oh, what 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 was I going to say? He uh, was very focused on. Uh, hey, John, while you look for that, I want to go back to one one other point in the yeah. in the last thing you were saying because I think it's very relevant. You talked about how it becomes a little um, a little more difficult, or certainly more involved as you go along, but more fun uh, because it, it, it is sort of that you talk about that salty veteran aspect of it right yeah and it's like you know that's how you picture a detective he's a little more rumpled he's, he doesn't care if his tie's straight he's just right. he's on a quest and that's how it sort of feels and uh what, what's what's interesting about that is you learn to like you said you have your bullshit detector but you also learn to turn off uh your preconceived notions about right. things and, and you, judgments yes and your judgments and that's again a big thing like you know you may have to write to uh like say you're a liberal-minded person and you get hired to write a financial newsletter mm-hmm. well you're not relating to that to that avatar uh, mm-hmm. instinctually if you're if you're an artist type you've got to really do some some soul searching and some digging you got to turn off all that uh, you know, 99 percenter mentality, <laughs> if you happen to have it and uh, really understand what what drives someone uh, who would sign up you know, for a financial newsletter or stock tips or something like that. And that it, or, you know, let's look at weight loss, for instance, if you're someone who's never struggled with weight. You gotta, you gotta understand that it's not just that people are lazy or that they just, you know, they'd rather eat fast food than cook. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why people are, are are overweight, and what does it feel like to be trapped in a body that you feel doesn't really belong to you? Yeah, empathy, and that's actually what what I was going to get back to. So you covered the point I was actually going okay. after. You know, I, I when I grew up, I actually had an advantage in that I never judged 
my friends. I, I had friends who were losers. I had friends who were star athletes. I had friends who were intellectuals. I had friends who were the guys, you know, smoking in the boys room. I hung out with bad girls and good girls back when we were still labeling them like that. And, and I just did it because it, it just didn't make sense. I mean, my family was kind of a welcoming family. Any, any of my friends are welcome to come in and have lunch. And mom would often invite them to stay for dinner. And it was kind of odd because I was hanging out with uh, Filipino um, uh, former Vietnam vets in, in my first year of college with with Jimi Hendrix style afros, you know, some, something that was really outside of my dad's working class experience. But they welcomed them with open arms and were quite willing to listen to him. So I came with this open minded sense that, you know, you I would give you the benefit of the doubt. And it was your job to either either win that trust, you know, to make it worthwhile or to cancel it out on your own by being a bad actor or a liar or whatever. So, so I was, I was friends with a number of people until they got to the point where I figured uh, I'm not going to be friends with them anymore. In in copy, you know, in, in, in marketing, dealing with that stuff, being able to get inside the other guy's head, walk a mile in his shoes. I've had to teach other people how to do that. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's a process of getting out of your own experience and letting, you know, there's a certain amount of acting, but it's, we get to do it in our head. Intellectually, you act as the avatar you're, 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 you're dealing with. If you've never had a weight problem or if you're dealing with, you know, I had to deal with bodybuilders and I was not a bodybuilder. Right. <clears throat> and I had to deal with martial artists and I was not a martial artist artist, although I dabbled in it, and I, I had to get their trust, and sometimes if I didn't have their trust, I had to get their respect instead, and that became a matter sometimes, and it, there's still some some of these former uh, military guys who, you know, are really mad at me because of the ad that I wrote, seriously, that I... You know, they've they've threatened me before and it's not fun. But the client stepped in between. Uh, These were talent. These were the guys who were showing the, you know, the self-defense moves of a Navy SEAL or something. And I would write the ad and the client would mail for for these uh, for for these videos that that they made. And, uh, you know, I would interview the talent and get the story and. I would write in a very, uh, my usual aggressive manner. And that didn't always go over well with these guys, especially if they caught flack from their buddies Mm. or they caught flack or they would actually kind of stretch the truth with me or sometimes even outright lie Mm -hmm. and get caught because it got into the ad. Then suddenly they realize, oh my God, I, you know, the, the reality of them bullshitting their way through life, saying they did things when they didn't, or they were at some particular battle when they weren't. Uh, you know, got them drinks and stuff, and they they didn't realize that with talking to the copywriter that if I didn't know they were stretching the truth or they didn't tell me, it was going to go into the ad, and and that caused me trouble because then I became the bad guy. So all of this stuff gets in there. So again, there had to there had to be this respect. Look, you know, it's your job to take out the bullshit that you that you gave me so you get final sign off on this ad and it's your fault and I'd have to yeah, I'd do it on the phone but I'd have to stand up against these guys and learn how to you know we're not friends I, I have a job my job is for the client to make this make this ad work not to make you look good in a hundred thousand dollar ad in a major you know in international magazine right 
And I imagine with with the cops, he's dealing with guys. And he even said, you know, sometimes he would deal with uh, street uh, uh, criminals who thought that by giving him some information that he would then take it easy on them later. And he said it didn't always work That's out right. that way. Yeah. So he, he had a higher level of authority that he was answering to. He was willing to bend his own judgments in order to talk to the to the uh, you know people that hurt children, people that rob people, people that lived on the streets, sold drugs, did all of these heinous things, but to get where, to where he was going, he needed to to uh, gain their trust or at least their you know to to be able to get into the world. And what what's interesting is you'll find this in advertising as well as in uh, detective work. I've learned is that people want to talk. Most people do want to talk about what they do, and often it's like the accountant. You know, goes off and does his job, and he comes home, and his wife doesn't want to hear about his day. His wife doesn't care about the number crunching and stuff. So when the accountant goes to the Las Vegas seminar for accountants, he gets to talk about what he's what he does for you know for for one or two days. He is right in the thick of other people who think that the number crunching he does is fascinating stuff. Yeah, and and that's something you as a writer ha- you know can tap into. I I can't tell you how many accountants or People who have jobs like accountants, which generally is not that exciting, and and I get excited about it, and I say, no, I, I want to hear the story, you know. Yeah. And I do this when I put on my sales detective hat, and I, I tell you, it opens the floodgates of information. They will tell me yeah. everything. That's right. And and uh, I, I think that's that's one of the things that old Uncle Pete. Uh, did really well was you know he he, uh, he he didn't judge and he and he wasn't like waiting to lay the hammer down on these guys or if he did he didn't do it during that time right. so he got them to talk and that's right. probably one of the few things that you see in Hollywood movies that maybe you know they, they use it as plot points you know to move the plot further along right. Joe the you know the, the breaking and entering specialist will spill the beans on so and so so it moves the plot forward but in reality Oh, everybody wants to talk. Everybody thinks that what they do is interesting if they're good at it, and th- they don't generally get to talk about it. Even when they're with their other breaking and entering specialists, you know, the little gang that meets with, you know, Fagan, you know, down in the in the bowels of of, uh, of of the slums, you know, they may not get to tell their story very much. There may be other people who tell the story, so they still may not get the respect and the audience that they crave. We all, all right. crave an audience. We all crave respect. So that's that's a tactic that that anyone who is in a position to try to get information they would not otherwise get out of someone else can use. And that's, that's part of the, the advanced bonding that, that, that a good sales detective goes through to be able to bring these stories out. Most, you know, most people, even, even people who are experts in what they do, they, they're not necessarily good storytellers. So you may have to sit through an excruciating you know, telling of the tale. But as long as you have your goal in mind, as long as you understand that what you're after is some bit of information or something, you know, that I've told this story multiple times of how I've gotten some of my best hooks. Yeah. They were minute parts of an hour long conversation. It may have been two or two minutes of right. that hour long conversation where I found the hook and I pulled it out yeah. and maybe I was able to flesh it out or maybe that's all I needed was that was, was that hook. 
And, you know, you, you have to be patient. You have to, um, you have to deal in trust. Trust is the currency that you have. And at the same time, you got to have your bullshit detector on high alert. You've got to run everything through the, the truth gauntlet. You know, is this guy telling me the truth? Is he misleading me? Is he, um, is he unconsciously, you know, pumping himself up or, you know, where are the weak points of this? And, and you take notes and you get that down. And it, I, I tell you, it, it, it may, if it sounds like work, then you're probably in the wrong business. Yeah. You know, because to me, this, this is fascinating. This is getting into the head of other people. This is finding out the real story behind the story. That's this right. is finding out how things work how things really work in reality. And I think that's that's what something that, that Gary Halbert brought to the game early on. That's why he and I got along so well and why we both started reading tons of detective novels. We wanted to find out how things really work, not how people wanted to present them as working, but how the how reality worked yeah. when the lights were off, when nobody else was there to see you, when when you know when when people were really acting. It wasn't that they, you know, so People weren't saying what they would do. Yeah, sure. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to buy that right now. I'm going to go go home and get my checkbook and come back and, and write you a check. No, you're not. Not, <laughs> not in reality, you're not. That's so right. we got to take care of this in, in some other way. Yeah. So that that whole reality thing, you know, and, and I think cops and copywriters share that need for getting behind the, you know, looking at the man behind the curtain, you know, getting behind the scenes into the truth Mm -hmm. where not even the people who are involved realize they don't get the big picture. They only get the picture of their breaking and entering, you know, side of it. They don't get to interview the guy who actually did the murder or the guy that set the thing up or the victim or any of that stuff. So you, you are the you are the receptacle of all the various information and you are the one that's going to come up with for the copywriter the hook or the sales angle right. for the cop the the caller you know or the solution of the, of the crime yeah you know another good analogy is uh, Columbo <laughs> the way those Columbo episodes would play out he'd always trick the guy in the, yeah, yeah. right well there's a couple good points there like what is you talk we're talking about not being judgmental and not you just talked about giving people permission to get re-excited about what they do. Right. And that's a huge one. That's that's the reporter trick. Uh, and that's... Yes. I've asked reporters, how the hell do you get people to talk, right? Yeah. So you know what to do? You tell them that it's... First of all, you act interested. And yeah. most people don't. And you tell them that a lot of people could benefit from hearing the truth. And that empowers people. And it's amazing how people will open up when you, um, you know, honor them and say, this is important and I want to hear all about it. And boy, people will just, they'll sing a song, man. Uh, not that you're trying to get something uh, nefarious out of them. It's just that usually nobody asks. And everybody's... I- I, I survived in biker bars back when, you know, when I had my fifth midlife crisis, and I formed a three-piece uh, rock band and played in all the biker bars in Northern California. I survived often by being interested in the bikers' lives. And they were astonished. This skinny little guy, as long as we were playing music, we were protected. There'd be fights breaking out in the bar all the time. It was very dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, and I was 
small guy. A lot of these guys were huge, and yet they became my buddies. You know, it was like it's like yeah, thanks, thanks for the music. You know, you know, thanks for for playing. Uh, you know, good good rock and roll. And then I'd be interested in their bikes and and uh, interested in their lifestyle and what yeah. they were doing. They were telling me some heinous stuff sometimes. Some of these guys were lawyers during during the day and bikers in the weekend other guys were bikers full time and they were cooking meth in a bathtub out in the trailer <laughs> and you know and and it was just like they never got to tell the story i think that that may be the whole crux of the thing is that is that sense of the story inside of all of us or inside of even the inanimate objects around us. What is the story behind the Yeti microphone I'm talking to? What is the story right. behind your car? You know, what, what is the story that's going on? How do we interpret that? And is it important to the overall goal that we have? And again, it's either for the cop, it's the caller, for the uh, copywriter, it's the sale. So That's it. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah, we could go on a, a lot about this. We're, we're at about 40 minutes now. I know we like to try to keep these under an hour. Yeah, uh, I, th I think we kind of tidied it up. I I, I hope that, that you know, people un un understand the basic thing of this, the the going deeper is, is, is the shortcut way I talk about it. Mm -hmm. But this is, I think, a very concrete example of how to go deep into things. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it, you know read those detective novels uh, if you haven't read the John D. McDonald all the Travis McGee stuff that's that's just standard copywriting fare you yeah. you and Gary made that into into lore yeah <laughs> it's sort of a rite of passage to know to know John D. Um, and uh, all the stuff Leonard another great one but true crime as well you know we talked a little bit John about True Detective which just wrapped up on HBO yeah. and uh, all those th those are from those great magazines it was interesting that Uncle Pete said that what made him fall in love with the idea of being a cop was listening to Dick Tracy on the, on the radio uh -huh. and, and some of those other series so you know it's very much a fantasy world that we get to play in without getting shot at <laughs> as as copywriters there's, there's a real parallel here and it's and it's really damn exciting, and it's also exciting to to uh, invigorate your subject and to get them to to really talk. Because, like we said, they, nobody usually cares. Everybody's tired of hearing their story. You be the guy that shows up and and acts really interested because you are. And and it's amazing that copy practically writes itself sometimes when you interview the right people. Yeah. So a lot of great stuff here. Please come visit us uh, on the blog at uh, pi the number four mm dot com and leave a comment. Uh, we love the interaction. That's a big part of why we do this. Uh, you know, we're real comment junkies. So so appease us, won't you? Give us a fix over at pi the number four mm dot com. John, great episode as always, and look forward to the next one, buddy. Okay. Uh, that was great. Had a lot of fun. And maybe we'll touch on this again. I'm sure Uncle Pete will be getting another call from us soon. <laughs> For sure. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.